Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Monday afternoon to you, or happy Monday evening to you, I'm sorry. Uh, I have some good news and some bad news. Uncle Jimmy's chair, still empty. Bad, that's the bad news. The good news is Uncle Jimmy is on the mend, and we're going to have him join us at the end of the show live and have him personally update us on his battle with COVID. I think he's winning the battle. His voice sounds great and strong. He's got some takes on the sports world, the whole nine yards. So Uncle Jimmy is inching very closer to coming off the DL and rejoining us here on the program. So that's the good news. More good news, I have a fantastic show planned for us today. Mike Cernovich, the conservative political commentator, uh, the man who did the documentary Hoaxed, he's gonna join us here uh, very shortly after I start a fire. And then after Mike, we're gonna be joined by Will Kane of Fox News. He does the weekend Fox and Friends uh, on, on Fox News and sometimes he fills in on uh, Fox News primetime. Uh, I, I got some very interesting questions I wanna ask Mike Cernovich and Will Kane after my fire starter. And then we're gonna talk some sports as well because that's what we do here, that's what I'm known for. We're gonna go out to Chicago. Greg Couch uh, has some more thoughts on uh, Justin Fields, the rookie quarterback who nearly got decapitated this weekend. I don't know if you saw that, uh, but uh, Greg thinks it's all part of the jinx on the quarterback situation for the Chicago Bears, so we'll discuss that as well. Uh, but. Let's start where we always start, or where we try to always start. Let's start with a fire. Bill Maher is lying to his audience and to himself. He's no longer a loyal Democrat. He's anti-Trump. And his enthusiasm for Trump resistance is rapidly waning. The liberal comedian's HBO talk show, Real Time with Bill Maher, has turned into a weekly ray of hope for those of us praying America snaps out of its left-wing fascism revolution. Every Friday night, it seems, Meyer finds a way to trash the woke. And every Saturday morning, across social media platforms, conservatives gleefully share his most recent rebuke of the left. The latest episode of his show convinced me that Maher has been red-peeled, and former President Donald Trump is the sole reason Maher won't admit it. Trump is the only thing holding together the Democratic Party. He fig-leafs progressive insanity. On Friday, Maher opened his panel discussion addressing the Biden administration's catastrophic handling of our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Maher trashed Trump and then declared the former president, number 45, couldn't have made it more, more of a mess than the current one, number 46. Listen to this. The pullout looks, ex I can't think of how it could have been any different if it was Trump. Honestly, I, I mean, how could it be more f***ed up? How could, it, how could it be more incompetent? How could it be more Trumpian? So what do I say to myself to get to sleep at night? when the adults are back in charge and exactly as bad as Trump would. Well, you know how you would all, always say, I can't believe Trump did that. And nothing he did would make you think he had hit bottom and then he would. <laughs> right. Well, he, it, it could be worse. How? Than how? How could he made it worse? What well, could it be worse? 
Mm. That was Jackie Combs. She's a columnist uh, for the LA Times, the Washington Bureau. Again, when faced with trying to explain what's going on in America, the only thing Jackie Combs could think to say is, well, it could be worse. Donald Trump could be president. That should be the slogan of the Democratic Party. It could be worse. I gotta give Mara credit for pushing back and that demanding that comms explain how things could be worse. You just saw it, heard for yourself. She had no answer. She backpedaled and started claiming she wasn't trying to defend the Biden administration. The left is a house of Trump cards. Remove Trump and the progressive movement immediately collapses beneath the weight of its bullshit. Remove Trump and the left can't defend the authoritarian actions it's taking to overhaul America's cultural norms. Without Trump, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter's Jack Dorsey would be viewed as treasonous villains for their censorship of free speech. Trump resistance justifies infringement of the Constitution's First Amendment. Big tech, especially smartphones, has too much influence over American society. On Friday, Marr ended his show explaining the negative impact of our cellular devices. Marr understands that smartphones and social media apps are disconnecting and dividing us. Trump resistance is the lone catalyst and justification for corporate media framing the events at the Capitol on January 6th as an insurrection. The insurrection, that's the big lie. No one authentically believes you can overthrow the government with flagpoles, moose heads, and zip ties. The Taliban, they staged an insurrection in Afghanistan. Trump supporters staged an unruly criminal protest that never reached the level of violence seen at a typical Antifa or Black Lives Matter protest. Without Trump, the left would have to vigorously defend its contention that men can be birthing people. You've heard that, right? Birthing people. It would also be forced to defend allowing biological men to compete against women in sports. Would America's laissez-faire policy at our southern border exist without Trump? Our immigration policy makes no sense. It can't be defended. It doesn't serve the greater good of our country. It's as big of a mess as Afghanistan. We're allowing illegal immigrants to flood our country simply because doing so is anti-Trump. Critical race theory? depends on Trump resistance for legitimacy. It can't survive scrutiny and analysis. On Friday, Marr and his interview guest, gay conservative writer Andrew Sullivan, mocked the New York Times 1619 project and complained that the left has moved away from the goal of a colorblind society. You should watch his Friday show. It was amazing. Marr flirted with multiple third rails, including suggesting that vaccines and masks shouldn't be regarded as, more as a more important response to COVID than exercise, losing weight, and, healthy, and a healthy diet. And yes, I'm talking about myself. 
watching Mara on Friday made me ponder what the world would be like if Trump abandoned politics. Would it hasten the collapse of the fascist left? If you remove the Trump card, would it force the fake leftists to confront the fraudulence of the rest of the progressives' hand? I believe, at this point, the majority of leftists are fake. And I say that in all sincerity. The majority of leftists are fake. Black people, the house pets of liberals, are required to hate Trump and all conservatives. Gangbangers and drug dealers command more respect in the black community than black Trump supporters. There's nearly as much pressure on white people. Who wants the baggage of being assumed as racist for espousing conservative beliefs? Disavow Trump and support leftist policy protects you from accusations of homophobia, racism, and misogyny. Pretending to be a Democrat exempts you from being held accountable for any violations of political correctness. Late night comedian Jimmy Kimmel co-hosted The Man Show and performed in blackface. He's in good standing. Meanwhile, Jeopardy just canceled its brand new host because of things he said on a podcast no one listened to 10 years ago. No one even knows his name, but he got canceled for stuff he said 10 years ago that everybody ignored and we still don't know what he said that was bad. Mar recognizes this hypocrisy and he likely knows that he would be canceled too if he didn't keep up the charade of being a loyal Democrat and devout Trump hater. Trump hate is the Democratic platform. It justifies Afghanistan, the border, 20 new genders, censorship, critical racism theory, mandating experimental vaccines, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Sometimes I think Trump has proven his point. He awakened the public to the swamp, the financial alliance among global corporations, political elites, and America's adversaries. Does he have more to offer? Or is he now an impediment, a blinding force that stops well-intentioned people from seeing the damage the other side is doing to America? Could Trump save America by stepping aside and fully exposing the lunacy of the left? What I'm suggesting reminds me of the strategy that civil rights workers use to defeat segregationists. Bible-carrying men and women put on their Sunday best clothes and let photographers and cameramen document the behavior of bigots. The images won the civil rights movement. Compelling liberals to defend their agenda without their trustworthy trump card would unmask their wickedness. That's my fire for today. Now, I can't wait for Mike Cernovich and Will Kane to give me their take. But before we do all that, you all have heard me talk about our sponsor, Built Bar, here. But they are just too good not to talk about every day or every time I get a chance. They have been a part of my daily routine here since they joined our show. Their many flavors are great, and the fact they are healthy for you and low in carbs and calories and sugars make them even better. 
These are much better than the normal protein bars you've been trying for a while. But don't just take my word for it. Try them for yourself. Go to Built.com and use the promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at Built.com. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock here, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. All right, I told you guys we we're going to be joined by Mike Cernovich, the author of Hoax, Everything They Told You Is a Lie, which is now a documentary. I watched the documentary. I didn't read the book. Uh, but Mike is a great voice over in the blogosphere, in the manosphere, over social media. Uh, you guys know who Mike is. And so I thought Mike would be the perfect person for me to get a reaction to my take that Bill Maher, I believe, has been secretly red-pilled and he doesn't want to admit it. Mike, do, do you agree? Has, is, is Bill Maher in hiding as a victim of being red-pilled? Almost certainly, and for the reason that you mentioned in your monologue, which, uh, you know, as you were talking, I was watching a show, I remembered Alec Baldwin, too, he he melted down on photographers, called them the F word, and I don't mean the bad word. I mean the word that is homophobic, that if you said or I said it, that would be the end of the road for us. And Alec Baldwin, of course, has had many meltdowns like that. He had a meltdown on his daughter where he engaged in fat shaming, harassment of a child. It's all recorded and documented. So. He could, but he, then he can go to Saturday Night Live and be Trump, and everybody goes, yeah, look at Alec Baldwin taking down the orange man. And you're thinking, but look what Alec Baldwin had said. So Bill Meyer is the same in the same position. Is he knows that he said some, some edgy things, because I know uh, a lot of what he has said before, and I'm not going to try to cancel him. But he said some things that would get anyone canceled. So he has to pay tribute. In a way, if you look at conceptually we're in a form of when Catholicism was corrupted and you could commit sins and then you would pay an indulgence to some corrupt bishop and then he would say, okay, now you're absolved of your sin. If you're Bill Meyer, you have to pay your indulgence to the left. You have to pay your indulgence to the left and say, well, I'm still a Democrat. The orange man is still terrible. I think that Sam Harris is in the same position. That whole little crew of Cowardly white men, the cowardly little mice, are in, in the same crew, the same little clique, where they know they have to pay tribute to the left or else they'll be the next target. Mike, you've said a mouthful there. I want to ask you this because I'm, I'm a longtime fan of Bill Maher. I, I've loved his show since its inception. You just called him a coward. I'm not saying it's unjustified. But I want you to elaborate because part of my take, I'm not disagreeing with your take, but part of my take is like, even though he's in hiding, his show week after week after week keeps blasting the left and the woke. And I think that takes some measure of courage. No. Well, he's towing the line. He knows that he can go here, but not there. He has, for example, 
when, when Alex Marlowe came on, he allows his guests to smear conservatives. So here's what Bill Maher does and how he's playing the little game is he'll bring on a conservative and then three lefties and then they'll all kind of smear the conservative. Now, some people would claim that that's a, a Straussian method where you know that you can't share a conservative and let that conservative really share his or her ideas. So to smuggle in those conservative ideas, you bring the person in to get bullied. And if that's what you have to do to keep your job, that's what you have to do to keep your job. So I understand we all make compromises for our jobs and I certainly don't judge that. But the flip side is there's a point where you reach a level of net worth as a man and you have the Mm so-called F you money and then you don't say F you. Right. That's how I look at it. Just as a man, you have F you money, but you're still going to tap dance and put on the little show for the left because you don't want to get canceled instead of just saying, you know what? Here's what I believe. If you people don't like it, if you people are offended, I'll do my own show. I have monopoly money. Bill Maher is probably worth one hundred and fifty to two hundred fifty million dollars. I have my own money. And that's the I've lost millions of dollars in book sales and everything else. When when I moved from mindset material to political commentary, because that's what I viewed as being the choice. Like, okay, I'm not I'm certainly not Bill Maher rich. That's for sure. But I've done okay, And I'm willing to take some blows now. I'm willing to take some hits now, even though that I could just keep the checks coming in by, again, playing the little games that these guys play. So to me, it it is an issue of moral cowardice. And so, Mike, once again, you said a mouthful. The only person as you were talking that I could think of from the Hollywood crowd that kind of really stepped out there and put his career in jeopardy. And and I think first of James Woods and and I'm trying to is there anybody else? And maybe James is old. And so I think he's I'm sure he's older than Bill Maher. And so maybe he there were no more big roles for him or there was no more love and money being rained on him in Hollywood. But can you think of anybody in that Hollywood crowd that has shown the kind of courage you're talking about? Nick Searcy definitely had. He had, you know, Peabody Awards. He came out as a conservative a long time ago. The famous actor who didn't – because I'm not saying people have to like Trump because I personally said it over and over again, and this is where I upset a lot of the MAGA people. I personally don't like Trump. I just happen to think that he was a great president. But he's not someone that I – would look to for moral guidance in my life, right? He's not someone one that I would look to in, in, for spiritual leadership necessarily, but he was an amazing president. So there was um, – he didn't come out as conservative or, or as a Trump supporter, and I don't – he probably isn't a Trump supporter, but he was very Christian. Remember they tried to cancel Guardian of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt, I think his name was, because he attends a church that believes in traditional marriage, so occasionally that'll that'll filter out where, of course, James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy gets kind of canceled and everybody rallies to his defense, even though he said tweets that if you that that are way worse than the Jeopardy host. Right. But then if you're a Christian and you attend a church, not even saying that you believe that all marriage has to be traditional, but you even attend a church where that's the theology and they try to cancel you. See, he came out. But, you know, he's come out Christian. He's been Christian. So there there are I'll give few, you a but- guy that I just thought of. I'll give you a guy, a big name. And, and he hasn't he, he has said some 
really direct things that are anti-Black Lives Matter, and it's shown some courage, Denzel Washington. Okay. Denzel Washington is in support of family and family structure and says that, you know, that is the critical issue in the black community. Let me ask you this, Mike. What do you think about my theory that the left would absolutely collapse if Trump disappeared? That they have no other issue, no other defense. It's, it's the only thing holding them together is Donald Trump. Yeah, they lose their foil. So with Trump, he Trump made an unfortunate one of the most unfortunate errors and in a way set a moral example and the inverse, which is, you know, that if, you know, you read Jason Whitlock or watch Jason Whitlock or someone like that, you know that, you know, there might be some things now and then that were said, but you know that it's a pretty consistent message. You know, you're not going to wake up and say, oh man, what do I have to defend now? What in the world? What now? You know, it's just over the line stuff all the time. And with Trump, he just couldn't, it's almost like a social contract. The idea is, okay, Trump, we know you've said some things. We don't care. But when I wake up tomorrow, I don't want to see new things. You know, let's just keep it in the past 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So, he always would give them new material to work with. Oh, here's something new that, that can get them spun up. Whereas, as you said in your, in your segment, your monologue, the left is imploding because they have to stand on their own merits now. In a way, the worst possible outcome for them was that they actually won. Now they have to govern. Now they actually have to do a troop patrol in Afghanistan. Now they actually have to defend critical race theory. Now they actually have to defend a recall election in California. Now they have to actually defend birthing people. And the, the American Pediatrics Association saying that masks in schools are fine because kids don't need masks for their development. But then they have to go through and delete all their material and all the – I don't know if you covered that story yet, but they're mm-hmm. it, deleting all these so-called psychological and pediatric organizations are deleting all their old articles where they said it's very important for children to see mouths moving, facial expressions. That's part of early childhood development. That's all being nuked. That's what they have to do now because of Trump, and now we're seeing that they can't stand on their own merits. They can't even manage a troop patrol in Afghanistan. Anthony Blinken, right? Jake Sullivan, right? That's the mediocrity. I, I don't know if you ever saw this meme a while ago. You probably did if you if you remember the old Twitter days where the, the hardcore feminists and kind of the men would go at it. And there was a shirt that said, God, please grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. And you know, and I know that they were making a derogatory remark on men, but I was kind of laughing because I'm thinking Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, that's the mediocre white man that they were talking about. The secretary of state and the national security advisor can't even go on TV and provide a coherent message to a lapdog media about the Afghanistan withdrawal. So we are now seeing the implosion of the left because they no longer have the orange man to raise money off of and to screech about every day. Mike, you hinted at something that I truly believe, and it it irritates Trump supporters when I say this, but I thought the most heroic and patriotic thing Donald Trump could have done his last two years in office, certainly his last year in office, just quit sparring with the media. Just, Just let it go. You've made your point. Fake news, we get it, we believe you, you won that war. 
I, I, what you just hinted at to me, if, if Trump really wanted to prove his patriotism and, and, and support of this country, he would have handled the last year or two of his presidency differently. He would have quit fighting with people in the media that he had already beaten up and won and just governed and stuck to his point instead of giving them, as you said, new material. And so I saw it as unpatriotic, his inability to discipline his behavior. And, and more so even than the media stuff was the petty celebrity beefs. I don't, if you're the president of the United States, leave the Twitter a-hole stuff to me, to you, to Clay, to everybody else. You're the president. I don't want to see you tweeting anything about LeBron James because you're offended about you're the president of the United States of America. Shut up. I don't care what you think about LeBron James or Chrissy Teigen or John Legend. I don't want to hear anything about petty little beefs, those petty squabbles or that Twitter entertainment, that showmanship. Because for me, a lot of it is, you know, I like a good a good online squabble because it's good showmanship. People watch it. As Dana White said, he knew that the UFC would be a success because if you're at a hockey game, a baseball game or a football game and a fight breaks out, everybody quits watching the game and they go watch the fight, right? Twitter fights. I'm all in favor of, <laughs> but if you're the president, act like it, that's your role. And I think in many ways, Trump was never truly seen as the president because if you go on his Twitter page, you're thinking, what are you what are you complaining about today? Some celebrity said something mean to you. Mac Miller doesn't like you anymore. That Eminem is beefing with you now. That's your life now. Petty squabbles. You're the you're the POTUS man. Act like it. So if if he would still go at the fake news media, I think that that was still a good thing to do because the propaganda was unrelenting. But when he would personalize the beefs and make them very petty, so he would, for example, say such and such reporter, and you know how that's going to be framed. Trump's bullying women again. Trump's bullying people of color again. Just stay on message. And moreover, what he did is a, is a common mistake that people make is – Focus on your message. I get attacked all the time. It's, a, it's a, Larry Elder's getting attacked right now. The, the LA Times is trying to lynch Larry Elder right now. Larry Elder isn't playing defense. Oh, the, the LA Times reporter so-and-so is bullying me and I'm, I'm going to go cry myself to sleep. And how, No, no, he's just saying, here's my message, man. I'm going to end mask mandates. I'm not going to make you choose between your livelihood and wearing a mask. I'm going to undo these. He's focusing on his message, right? That's what you do is – Negative attention that I receive, I love it because I don't respond to the negative attention. Oh, Mike Cernovich is X bad thing. And then I get into the frame of, oh, I'm not really the X bad thing. How terrible. I say, good. Now that I have your attention, let me actually talk about what I believe. Let me actually talk about what we can do to make the country better, move the country forward. That's where Larry Elder's doing. Ron DeSantis is doing it. Trump, he's still caught up in that celebrity Hollywood petty beef thing where he wanted to, to lower himself. Because to me – you got to look at it this way, right? You are the people you're beefing with. That's your level, right? Mayweather's not beefing with nobodies. Mayweather's not complaining about nobodies every day. Mayweather's saying, I want that big fight with this YouTube star to get 50 million. Conor McGregor's not beefing with nobody, right? Conor McGregor's saying, I want to beef with Mayweather. I want to beef with Pacquiao. I want those big marquee fights. I want the marquee events. Donald J. Trump would say, oh, I'm going to beef with this random 
nobody reporter who has 30,000 Twitter followers because he or she said something mean about me. Well, then that just lowered your status. That just said, you're not Mayweather. You're not Pacquiao. You're not Conor McGregor. You're just some random dude on Twitter. Don't act that way. Live the marquee lights, right? You got to play for the big fights. And Trump kept getting dragged down and he was his own worst enemy. Mike, we'll end on this note. I want to ask you about another one of my theories that, and I really believe this, particularly as it relates to men. Most men uh, who consider themselves progressives or Democrats, I think it's all fake and phony. Uh, I don't think they really believe it. I think they've been bullied. I think for for black men uh, such as myself, if you don't support democratic ideology, you're you're cast out and labeled an Uncle Tom and a sellout. If you're a white guy and you don't support it, you're a racist, you're a homophobe. It's it's for both groups, black and white men. It's hard to ascend to leadership positions within corporate America if you're not a part of the Democratic agenda. And so, and maybe there's equality, but I'm trying to figure out who do you think is under the most pressure to be woke, black guys or white guys? Who's got it worse? I would definitely think white guys are under the most pressure to feel woke because in truth, you know, in truth, and, and you know this better better than anyone, if you follow the real culture, not this woke stuff, how, how many how many black men are actually hardcore far left wing Democrats? Right. They're just the ones I, I view black men as politically homeless. Right. They feel and I think it's unfair, but they feel there's racism in the Republican Party. I don't think that's a fair characterization of, of the reality, but that's the way they perceive it. And I get it. But then the left. They're all crapping all over them too now, right? Everywhere you look, it's all about how terrible they are. That's coming from the left. But if you want to get on CNN and you want to be a media personality, you have to play a caricature. It's the same way as I look at it like this. Uh, Joe Pollack, who's an Orthodox Jew, 90% of Orthodox Jews voted Trump. You almost never see Orthodox Judaism represented on TV because that's 90% pro-Trump. Joe Pollack goes on CNN, destroys the whole panel. It just nuked from orbit. I don't know if you ever saw the clip. Nuked. So he's not going to get on TV. So if you want to be in, in media, corporate media, you have to be a tepid, weak Republican man who, oh, yeah, I'm so offended by Trump. He's such a mean, mean man. And, oh, yeah, I, I just want to, you know, lower tax rates by 3%. That's all I really want to do. Well, I'm kind of pro-life, but, you know, I'm not here to impose that. I'm not here to say, you know, I'm kind of am. That's the only way you can get on TV. So if you're a black man in America who has a real message, they're going to do to you what they're going to do to Larry Elder. So then you have to ask, and he's got people making stuff up about him. They're doing fraudulent investigations into him. So then it comes down to, and this is why earlier when I said Bill Meyer was kind of a coward, that, that's me maybe being a little bit too hyperbolic because your life's going to be nuked for morbid, right? That's what they're trying to do to Larry Elder. So it takes a tremendous amount of moral courage to do what you do or what Larry, Larry Elder does. I mean, they, they, when they went after uh, Paris, that Trump supporter – Right. Strong black Trump supporter, you know, went after him. So, you know, that if you're if you're a black Trump supporter, black male Trump supporter, you're probably not even going to get on TV and, and get your message out at all. If you do, 
they're going to come after you with fabrication. So do you want to have your whole life ruined, your income destroyed, your friends saying, oh, I didn't know that you were involved in this, the false accusations, right? So they that so I think that they're actually in private, not really, quote unquote, woke. But I think that you have to play the role. So if you're if you're a white male, you have to be you're allowed. So the way we put it is if you're a white male, you're allowed to be Republican, but you have to be that really weak, pathetic, groveling Matt Lewis style Republican who doesn't really believe in anything. But they're kind of like tokenized. And then if you're a black male Trump supporter, you're just not even going to be in the conversation in terms of cable news. So they're. Probably is more pressure for black men in media anyway to play a role. <laughs> let me let me tell you this, Mike, and you'll, you'll find this humorous, but but it's true. For a black man, if you want to have sex with a black woman, you cannot be pro-Trump. Not publicly, not in, not around her or her family, any of that. It, it's just it's a require. It's it is a fact that you will catch hell from a large portion of the black female community. And again, this is the pressure and how they keep control of people. And that's why they keep celebrating Stacey Abrams and Keisha Lance Bottoms and, and, and the, the 10% of Kamala Harris that might be black. They keep celebrating this because they, they, they want black women at the top of the food chart and, and they are in control of that sweet spot that every a lot of guys want to get to and the entry fee is you got to hate trump and so i think we're under the most pressure but i i have sympathy for both sides mike thank you so much for the time uh you were terrific i really appreciate it love the documentary hoaxed uh wish you continued success my pleasure brother thank you all right thank you all right you guys, you want high quality beef? Go to Good Ranchers. Looking for tasty and healthy chicken? Go to Good Ranchers. Want to support 100% American and quality raised food options? Go to Good Ranchers. Our friends over at Good Ranchers is the best option for you and your family when it comes to providing great tasting food for the entire family. I talk about their chicken and beef options all the time here, but they also have great seafood and pork selections for you to choose from as well. And it all comes at a price and quality that your local grocery store cannot beat. If you subscribe, you will get $20 off and free express shipping. Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Welcome back. Honored to be joined by Will Kane, a co-host on Fox and Friends on the weekends. And I, we, last week, I believe he hosted uh, the primetime show right before Tucker Carlson. Will, of course, uh, made his name over at ESPN sparring with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman and all the guys, sparring with everybody at ESPN. Will was, Will was the lone conservative on an island over at ESPN before leaving for Fox and Friends and Fox News. I thought Will would be great on my 
Donald Trump, Bill Maher topic, but I also may sneak in a sports question or ask him about his time at uh, ESPN. But Will, first and, and foremost, I want to ask you, what do you think of my contention that the entire left would collapse if Trump disappeared? You know, I have mixed feelings about that idea, Jason. And and the reason is you're totally correct that the only thing, the only tie that binds the popular left is their mutual hatred of Donald Trump. And that if he were not there, they would no longer have the shield to neglect to answer questions about whether or not men can have babies or whether or not every single aspect of the United States should be defined by some perception that it has a racist founding. They would have to defend these increasingly radical ideas. So you're right that if Trump weren't there, that reality would be staring them more in the face. But here's why I'm conflicted, because I think Trump exposed all of that. I think he forced what was a rot in the ideology or a hidden agenda that had been baking for decades up to the surface. So this stuff didn't bake in overnight. Critical race theory didn't get developed in the past 18 months. Media bias isn't something that we found out about or just was created in the past five years. Donald Trump served a very, very useful purpose in exposing the reality that existed underneath the covers. And you mentioned that. So the question is, does he continue to serve that purpose going forward? And to me, I think the answer is still yes, Jason, because I look, for example, quickly at the insanity with which we've responded to COVID. And the vast majority of our population seems to have gone along compliantly or even served as the as the enforcers for this insanity. And we need someone who can continue to call out that media driven fear, that media driven hysteria, someone who can stand up. And it's not just about him exposing it, but to be strong enough. And I'll say he's not the only one. Um, I heard you with Mike Cernovich and I, I heard him mention Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, someone who is strong enough to stand in the face of those headwinds. So while I do think Donald Trump stepping aside would force them to face that reality, there might yet be still some more reality for the vast majority of the population to face. Here's why I probably 51% agree with you. And, and this is my fear if Trump goes away. And I think it's the fear of most Trump supporters is that they like DeSantis, but they're like, he's a politician and the swamp has not been drained. And if Trump goes away, we go right back to the swamp and politics as usual. I think that that's my genuine fear is who would call out the rest of the establishment, the rest of the globalists, or would it just go right back to everybody making money, everybody taking money from lobbyists and foreign influences with China? Would it just, can, the free for all we have going on now would just be put on steroids if Trump disappears. Ron DeSantis is the greatest hope to have that strength outside of Donald Trump. And this is not to say that I agree with every single thing Donald Trump has ever said or every single policy that Donald Trump ever endorsed. But let's go back to your monologue for a moment. Um, has Bill Maher been red-pilled? And I would actually disagree with you slightly and say, no, I don't know that he has been. What I think has happened is 
the very, very influential radical minority of the left has continued to move further that way. And there's a massive percentage of the American population, Jason, that I think just goes along to get along, who will flow along with what they see as the center and the popular culture. And what is defined by that are things like ESPN or social media. Now, I think you did a wonderful job, and this was before we knew each other, of pointing out the radical influences that pulled that center of pop culture. Back in the day, it was Deadspin, and you were 100% right. Deadspin wielded way too much influence over ESPN. Deadspin eventually died. It's been replaced by Twitter and radical voices on Twitter that make people think this is a mainstream thought. So, for example, that the United States have a racist founding, critical race theory, ideology, and tenets. There are people out there that will just go along to get along because that radical ideology pulls what we think of as the left even further over. And there are just a few people out there like Bill Maher who go, whoa, 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 I haven't changed. You've changed. I don't know that Bill Maher has changed, Jason. I just think the context around him has changed. And you've probably experienced it, and I've experienced it. When you live inside, quote unquote, the mainstream media or what is acceptable popular culture, when you leave it, people say to you, what happened to you, man? You changed. I haven't changed from the person that I was at ESPN, not one iota. I've been more openly political. But what's happened in the past 18 months is that center has pulled very far left. I've been standing in the same place for really most of the past 10 years. But you've also now just described why I think Bill Maher has been red pill because I see what's happening with him analogous to what happened to me. In terms, people all the time say, oh, man, I used to like Whitlock back in the day, but he changed. And I'm like, when? When did, and I'll send people receipts. I was like, hey man, I won National Journalism Awards for exposing the fraudulence of the Genesis 6 controversy in Louisiana back in 2006 or seven. Uh, I was called, I called, I go, when I was on Oprah Winfrey over the Don Imus thing, the whole narrative, the whole column that I wrote was about Hey man, as black people, why are we worried about Don Imus when we saying all this other crap in rap music and amongst ourselves? I've been saying the exact same things. I used to write for the Huffington Post. Right. Nothing changed, everything just changed around me. And eventually I had to go, these people are crazy. They don't <laughs> believe in what I believe in and they shook me up and I know, I would say this, the difference I think between Bill Maher and myself and why he's living this lie, <clears throat> he has no religious faith. And eventually that's what made me have to be like, it's my faith and the things that were put in me by the church and by my grandmother that, that have made me just far more comfortable like, hey man, I'm a conservative. And my conservative worldview comes from the church and from me playing football. It wasn't a political thing. I believe in traditional family. I believe in hard work. I believe in the meritocracy. I believe, you know, I'm just, I, I believe in America. I, I've seen 
the America that my father dealt with growing up and the America and, and he could see it. Even my father dealt with a lot of racist crap. He could see like, wow, man, America's changed. And then certainly he wasn't all the way comfortable. He didn't. But he's like the way my son is treated as opposed to the way I was. This is an amazing difference. And so I, I, I get if 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 Bill Maher had some religious faith. I think he'd come all the way out of the closet and say, these people are crazy. I can no longer stand with them. I think you're right about that. And so whether or not Bill Maher or you got red pilled or the rest of the world continued to shove down blue pills, we might be playing a semantic game. But I think we're in the same place of I haven't changed. You haven't changed. I'm not sure Bill Maher's changed. The context in the world around him has changed. Now, what keeps him from going all the way? And you you describe him as being fake. I do think you're on to something when you talk about the role of religion, because most of the left derives and I'm speaking in generalities here, but most of the left derives their moral and, and value based affirmation at the ballot box. In other words, they do believe they are a better person because they vote Democrat. And that's because they've developed this idea in their mind. And again, you talked about this earlier, that if you vote Republican, you're a racist. Or if you vote Republican, you don't care about helping other people through the mechanisms of welfare or whatever it may be. They, they've decided that their vote is sort of like communion or, or their vote is their act of charity. And so for a guy like Bill Maher, he's never going to walk away from the Democratic Party or that that vote because it's given him his moral meaning. What more? It's also given him social acceptability in Hollywood. And that's going to be almost impossible to, to walk away from. But if you find your moral meaning somewhere outside of the ballot box, then you can more easily understand, for example, your conversion or anyone else's. You can say, you know what? You know what defines me as a good person? Whether or not I'm living up to my faith, not which way I vote, whether or not I'm being a good person in my community, whether or not I'm giving to charity, whether or not I'm giving back privately not whether or not I vote for someone else's taxes to go up. So I do think you're right, that that is probably standing in the way from a full conversion. You're talking to a guy who's never voted, and you're right. So I, I just, I've tried to avoid a political identity. I've been given one. I'm comfortable with it now because that other side is too crazy for me. Let me ask you this, Will, switching to your days at ESPN. How, how hard was it being the lone conservative voice basically at ESPN. Well, I'll ask you a quick, real quick question. How hard is it being an outlier voice within the black community? How hard is it to be uh, someone who the rest of the sports media loves to hate, Jason? How hard is that? There's some difficulty to it. I, I'm just, I'm built a little different mentally. And so I don't care, uh, but, but you know, it is difficult. And look, what happened to me my second trip at ESPN from 2013 to 2015, that was a high-tech lynching. And uh, you know, if you want a, a sports story about experiencing racism, go look at what happened to me when John Skipper put me in charge of the undefeated. And black and white liberals brought their knives out and tried to assassinate my character, reputation as a journalist, the whole nine yards. Uh, so, I mean, it was tough, but I, I guess I'm at, from, from the white guy perspective, I think y'all have it a bit easier, just slightly, 
a bit easier because at least behind the scenes, there's a bunch of executives and other producers that are like, man, I'm with you, Will. You know, <laughs> go. At least they're shoving you out there. <laughs> go fight those lines, Will. <laughs> we'll be here to so, patch you back up. So my answer is the same as yours. Um, there are difficulties being the lone anything, right? Um, there are difficulties. Do I think that my colleagues secretly or some of them behind the scenes talked bad about me or behind my back or maybe even disliked me? Yeah, I do. And I did have to walk in the hallway sometimes and wonder, is this person being genuine with me or, or not? But that being said, a little bit like you, and I don't, I don't want to say this like I'm bragging. I'm just a little bit built different. I can take that and say, man, that, that kind of stinks, but I'm not going to change what I think or who I am or what I say on camera. I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to be real because I want my friendships based upon reality anyway. So it was in a lot of ways also enjoyable. Jason, I love to have conversations with people that disagree with me. And I was surrounded by it, as you know. And the best ones, quite honestly, were on camera with Stephen A. I don't know your relationship with Stephen A, but I have a very positive relationship with Stephen A. And most of any tension you ever saw happened right there with television cameras in front of us. And I'm cool with that. I'm cool with like authenticity and, and letting everybody see where disagreement lies. So, you know, it, it was there was parts that were good, there were parts that were bad, but it didn't matter either way because I wasn't going to change who I am. And then as to your point about who has it harder, I, how can either of us speak on the other's behalf? But I will say my suspicion is it's harder for the black conservative. I, I mean, I think that's probably one of the hardest social positions to have in this world because I, I don't know, man, maybe. And again, what is it that bothers you in this world? It, it would bother me for everyone to continue to say you're not real or you're a sellout or whatever it may be. You're not you don't get to be a member of the community as though they get to define that. They don't get to define what members of the community you are or whether or not you're real. So I don't know. It sounds a little bit harder, you know, um, than, than what I have to deal with, because I know who I am at night, by the way. What are they going to say about me? You pointed it out. They're going to say I'm a racist. Well, I know who I am. I know the way I live my life. I know what I believe. And I sleep just soundly at night. I, I, I want to follow up on your comment about Stephen A, because I, I felt from afar, like, yeah, Will Smith and Stephen A definitely get along. I think Stephen A is very professional and likes to create good content, knew that you and he created great content. And so I imagine that you two guys got along great and that what we saw on camera was legitimate. If there was tension, it was on camera, but it was left there. Right. And, and Stephen A probably just celebrated like, man, we just did some good content. The person that I thought, and I, I can't specifically remember the details, but you, of course, will. I thought Bomani Jones ambushed you and treated you very unfairly towards the end of your stay at, at, at ESPN. You don't have to talk about it, but if you want to, I, 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 would, I would appreciate it. He did. I, thought he, I thought he put you on TV and tried to define you as a racist for his own benefit. I don't think he authentically believes you're racist, uh, but I just found that very unfair and unfortunate and, and wish that the executives at ESPN were strong enough to make sure that didn't happen to people. We, we have to be able to disagree with each other without ascribing motives that 
uh, cast one person as reprehensible and the other person as a seeker of truth, justice, and the American way? You know, um, I struggle sometimes with how much I want to share about my behind the scenes interactions at ESPN because, you know, I like that you talk about masculinity a lot, uh, Jason. I don't, I don't know that I think about it um, as a sort of top level overt thought process, but I know it's always there subconsciously. And there's values that I have that I think go back to what I was taught to what it means to be a man and to talk about things behind people's backs or in retrospect. I don't know. I, I'm not telling you I'm right or wrong. I'm telling you it just rubs me a little the wrong way. So I don't love talking negatively. What, what I will say is um, Bomani came on my show uh, one of my last week, maybe at ESPN, and he asked to come on and I said yes. And, uh, you know, for most of the whatever's the remnants of dead spins of the world, which is basically the entire sports media critic world, the conclusion was Bomani Jones destroys Will Kane. OK, fine. If, if you believe that to be the case, I can live with that. I can take L's. I'm here to have the exchange and have the debate. I don't think it's true, by the way. I don't think that's what happened. And I think there's a lot more to unpeel in the conversations, which at that time was about Bubba Wallace, if I remember correctly. But um, but I'll say this, Jason, you know, I, I'm always game to do it again. So in other words, even if you think even if you think and um, I don't think I, I don't know. Do I think anyone at ESPN truly thinks I'm a racist? I, I don't I don't know. But even if you do, I'm still willing to have that conversation on air. I'm still willing to do it because it's not that I'm confident that I'll win a debate. It's confident that I am. I know who I am. And I have my ideas and they have a founding and they have a basis and I'm willing to put them to the test. W or L as the result. Well, thank you for the time. Continued success. Uh, I'll be waking up early for Fox and Friends the next time you ask. Yeah. Uh, I, I can promise <laughs> you that. Thank you for doing this for me. I hope to have you back on again. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. All right, we're going to roll out to Chicago and talk with Greg Couch. Next! Welcome back. Time to roll out to Chicago and talk to uh, Greg Couch, who's a huge... Uh, Chicago Bears fan and authority, and Justin Fields uh, nearly got decapitated uh, this week. <laughs> this weekend, uh, Greg is uh, perhaps Chicago's leading Justin Fields skeptic. He's written another column uh, questioning the sanity of Bears fans who are all in on Justin Fields. Uh, Greg, uh, what happened this weekend? And did it advance your skepticism and cynicism as it relates to the Bears rookie quarterback? Well, it advanced my skepticism, okay? I mean, the city is in love with him because he's not Mitch Trubisky. The city's in love with Mitch Trubisky because he wasn't Jay Cutler. The city was in love with Jay Cutler. You know, it goes on and on. He wasn't Rex Grossman. Fields hasn't really done anything yet to prove that he's worthwhile. And frankly, to be blunt about it, if the Bears thought he was good to, enough to pick him, then he's probably not good enough to pick him, okay? They just make all the wrong choices. <laughs> you know, 
it's like a whole historical thing, you know, for me as a Chicagoan, having my head beat in by the same stick every time the Bears pick another quarterback, and now it's just, here's the new stick, so, you know, am I supposed to just fall for it again? I'm not going to keep falling for the exact same thing every single time. So he's just going to have to prove something. He hasn't done it yet. I think he completed 47% of his passes the other day, and uh, he did break a, a nice run. He did complete one great 30-yard pass. And with Chicagoans, we're so so you know thirsty to see any success at all from quarterbacks that you see a little tiny bit of it, and everyone gets excited. So Fields made two or three good plays, you know, and that's it. He's the greatest thing in the world again. You know, before we even had one preseason game, his jersey was already the number two selling jersey in the NFL. I mean, he number one was Tim Tebow, as we, we know what's happened to him. So uh, I'm not I'm not convinced at all. And. The thing that was painful about this weekend's game for the Bears was Mitch Trubisky was the quarterback for the Bills, and he had a great game. <laughs> uh, he, he, took, he extracted some revenge on the Bears as much as you can during the preseason, but you also pointed out in your column, Mitch Trubisky had a great first preseason game just like Justin Fields. But what did you make of Trubisky's performance, and, and do you think it gave Bears fans any pause? Sure it did. You know, I mean, again, you've been hit by the same stick. At some point, you got to worry that this is happening again. I mean, Trubisky, what did he throw, 228 yards, four touchdowns by the middle of the second quarter. I mean, I don't remember him ever doing that with the Bears. So, yeah, he, you know, he did. When he was, a, when he was a, with the Bears in the first place, his first preseason game, Trubisky's, he completed 10 passes in a row. He was amazing. He was great. Look, this is just a civic thing, okay? You know, I don't know why Bears fans keep falling for the same trick. But, you know, Chicago likes I, – I mean, to be fair to the Bears, I mean, they always pick the wrong guy. They always pick the wrong quarterback. But there is a bit of – you know, this is a tough city. You know, we like big food. We like big buildings. We like, you know, Oprah. We like big talk show hosts. <laughs> and so we think of football as a not really a game where you throw the ball over people. You run through them. And so Chicago spends all its, has spent all of its money on defense and, and being tough. And so – you know, they've kind of short shrifted the quarterback situation a little bit. And I think Chicagoans now are just going, hey, this Mahomes is not bad. It's kind of fun watching that. Let's let's try something else here. And so they just keep picking the wrong guy. You know, the, this is, I believe, the seventh year for Ryan Pace, the general manager. He's the one who picked Trubisky. He traded up to take Trubisky with the second pick in the draft over Mahomes, over Deshaun Watson. That was his judgment. And it obviously went badly. It was terrible. They got rid of him. And so they left pace in there to pick the next quarterback, you know. And then, I don't know, I, I, I'm very skeptical. I need to see some proof. Any chance at all that Andy Dalton does a good job for the Bears this year? He's the starter <laughs> right now. It, what's, what's he, how has he looked in the preseason? I mean, so far he's looked terrible, okay? And he wasn't good last year either, but still, I, what's he been in three Pro Bowls? I mean, he, he actually, he may actually be the best, or, you know, the three best quarterbacks the Bears have ever had, and he's really just a journeyman and nothing special. But he's never going to get any opportunity. The minute, look, when Dalton was in there Saturday, the crowd was already cheering for Fields. I mean, they brought Dalton in as a free agent. They said, here's our guy, he's QB number one. So this is the guy we're going with, and the crowd already doesn't want him. You know, they're already booing, not booing him, but they're cheering for Fields. Booing will be next for Dalton. So, you know, can he prove it? I mean, he's going to have to be Mahomes. He's going to have to be an amazing quarterback from the start to even get to the second game. I mean, I think they'll get him, they'll play him the first game because they're not going to want to, the Bears are playing the Rams. No one's going to want uh, Aaron Donald to crush Fields and ruin his season in the first game. So uh, as soon as Dalton makes a mistake, 
he's out. And if he's not out, then the coach Nagy's out. So, uh, yeah, he's not gonna, there's no way. Dalton's going to have to do something he's not capable of doing. <laughs> so it sounds to me like you believe they're going to waste another year of Khalil Mack in a hell of a defense. They're not going to get anything out of this. Exactly. I mean, that's that's what the Bears do. They they spend a lot of money on defense. They've got a great linebacker. Yeah, Mac or you know Erlacher in the past is Singletary, and again, and historically they had running backs: Walter Payton, you know, even Neil Anderson. Before that, you know, Gale Sayers, Willie Gallimore. You can go all the way back. This is where the Bears spend their money. So, you know, they're this. They really don't know what they're doing at quarterback. They've never really developed one. I don't think. I mean, ever. So, you know, seventy years since since they've even had a good quarterback. So, you know, yeah, it's going to be a waste. But, I mean, look what I'm saying. I'm pretty cynical, all right? I mean, aren't I basically saying that no matter who's in there, he's going to stink up the place? I mean, I'm not really giving anyone a chance to, to make it this way. Yeah, sounds like they could get Patrick Mahomes. They could trade for Patrick Mahomes, and that would go poorly as well. Great. Uh, thank you. Pre- appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to continue to root for and wish Justin Fields all the success in the world. I love the way he played in that national championship game. Even though they lo- I did. I thought he played well. I, I'm a big Justin Fields fan. I think, uh, I think he's got a shot. All right, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. The return of Uncle Jimmy. Thanks. All right, here we go. Uncle Jimmy's going to join us live. He's still alive, although, you know what, it's funny. I'm looking right now on Twitter, and rest in peace, Jimmy is trending over Twitter. And I was like, what happened to Uncle Jimmy? But he's still here. Uncle Jimmy, uh, hold on, man. I thought you was out sick. How, how are you sitting at home in a hat, sport coat? How are you suited and booted sitting at home when you're supposed to be on your sick bed? Uh, before we go a whole lot further, so let me guess. You saw that tweet, RIP Uncle Jimmy, and you'd be like, I'll be damned. How did I miss that one? <laughs> No, I was going to go check to see if you, if my name is on your life insurance policy is what I really wanted to do. <laughs> but here you are. <laughs> hey, man, let me tell you something, man. Let, yeah. let me just honestly, man. Uh, thank you for everything, man. I appreciate everything, man. I especially appreciate the fact that I never shared with you the fact that of of me having reoccurring herpes outbreaks as an adolescent. Because <laughs> God knows if I would have shared it with you, your ass would have found a way to write a whole autobiography out of it by now, man. My friend Tim <laughs> in his battle with Shankers and Child Support Court. Hey, Jason, I don't know if you know this or not, man. And I don't know how in the hell you managed it, but somehow or another you managed to violate every freaking HIPAA law known to man. <laughs> hey man, I'm just giving out information so people don't get concerned about you. I'm trying to get them up to date, up to speed on what's going on with you. Okay, okay. You good? Let me ask you a question, Jason. 
Because I want to hear this from yeah. you. I want to hear it out of your mouth. Hey, man, did, man, please tell me that you did not say the phrase, and I quote, I can't catch, I'm too fat to catch Corona. I couldn't go and help Jim. <laughs> it's not exactly what I said, but that is the gist of what <laughs> that is the gist of what I said. Yes. Okay. Okay. There we go. I gotta so, protect my people. Jason, you do understand that I'm a legend in them streets of Kansas City. Okay. Yeah. Now it's one thing if you want to piss off law enforcement, but you want to piss off the gangsters too. Hey, man, word on the street in Kansas City is you thought you wanted all that smoke with Matt Barnes and Stephen A. Jackson. Hey, man, my cousin Big Filthy told me to tell you, and I quote, when you come back to Kansas City, your name is going to be like an old Motown song. It'll be nowhere to run to, Chubby. It'll be nowhere to hide. You come to Kansas City, you'll be nowhere to run to fluffy. All right, I'm warning you. <laughs> got you. Got you. You got any sports takes? You've been sitting. You've been sitting at home. You should be watching TV and all up to date on the sports world. You got any sports takes? <laughs> Bro, let me ask you a question for real. You know your girl Cherry Richardson ran in a race in Oregon this weekend, right? Chicago, yes. You know she ran in a race and she finished dead ass last. You understand me? (laughs) Now, I don't know how the hell you managed to finish dead ass last, but when you finish dead ass last, don't nobody care how fast you ran last. (laughs) Now, my question is, Where's this girl support group, Jason? Where's where, where's all these people out here that were supporting her? Y'all are acting like y'all don't hear this girl's cries for help. Did you hear her after the race? In the meantime, Sha'Carri Richardson finishing ninth in the race, and she's with Lewis Johnson. Oh, I'm having a month off, dealing with all I was dealing with. I'm not upset at myself at all. <laughs> this is one race. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> you know what I'm capable of? Because I'm here to stay. Look here, man. Did you hear her? She's talking about, oh, oh, I ain't finished. Oh, you bitches just wait. Oh, I'm coming back. Oh, you done got smoked the hell out. What the hell is wrong with you, girl? And then you just had. You know who she sounded like? What's that? She sounded like Fred Sanford. This is the big one, Elizabeth. This is the big one. <laughs> I'm coming to join you. <laughs> Wait a minute. I heard then you just had my boy Greg Couch on here, right? You didn't even get yeah. what he what he was trying to tell you, did you? You did he tried to throw you, you didn't realize that he told you, hey Jason, you know, as big as you are, if you move to Chicago, you'll be a god. <laughs> and wait a minute, did I, heard I hear that, you? But he was talking about Justin Fields. Uh, okay, now speaking of Justin Fields, did, did did you actually see this hit with Justin Fields? 
Hey, man, let me tell you something. I did not. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. Hey, man, we got the video. I wish we could show you the video. I don't know if we can or can't. Uh Oh, here we go. Check this out. Oh, yeah, they got it. Watch it. What? Jason. (laughs) You know what that is, Jason? That is called a hate crime. That boy got hit so hard, his soul left his body. Greg Couch told me personally, that fella had anal seepage for the rest of the night. And Jason, let me tell you something. I'm not even going to lie to you, man. I'm so glad that we had cameras there that night. Because if we didn't have no cameras there that night, you know what the hell that boy would have said happened in Chicago. They all came up with mega hats and put nooses around my neck. I don't know what happened. Luckily, we had some damn cameras there. See, because if we didn't have cameras, we wouldn't have known what happened in Pittsburgh this weekend, would we? We wouldn't have known what happened in the stands Uh, in Pittsburgh, would we? I saw that. That was not a good look. That was not good. That was not a good look. Listen to me. Listen to Uncle Jimmy, white men. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you this. We as black men been trying to tell y'all this for a long time. Hold for one second, Jimmy. Hold for one second. Hold for one second. I got to explain to people what happened. There was a fight in the stands. A woman confronted a man and slapped him, and that set off a brawl. This is the second weekend in a row. Uh, It was in L.A. the week before where a woman threw a Pepsi and set off a brawl. Here Uh, we go. Yeah, here's the video. Yeah, she, she first yells at her husband or boyfriend. Then she slaps this. And the next thing you know, her man gets cold cocked. And <sighs> Jimmy, I got to be honest with you, man. I'm afraid to go to games. I, and, and I say that in all seriousness. I, I just think there's so much tension in the air. And people now are at odds with each other. You used to go to a game. And it was a spirit of camaraderie. And, and now everybody's bringing their political baggage in, their little cell phones. Can't wait to capture some moment they can frame as racism. I, I think these NFL stadiums are going to be a disaster all football season. Jason, remember the good old days? I mean, because, you know, we came up in the, in the era of racism and how horrible times was. Man, remember the time when you could go walking through Arrowhead Stadium and a group of white guys would say, hey, bring your black ass over here and eat some of these brats with us, Whitlock. (laughs) Do you remember? There was a time when I do. In the words of Archie Bunker, those were the days. Yeah, those were the days. Hey, uh, Jim, if we have you on tomorrow. Girls were girls <laughs> and men were men. <laughs> Mr. We could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. <laughs> Didn't, Didn't need, need no, no welfare states. <laughs> Everybody pulled his weight. Good seeing you, bro. <laughs> All right. Tomorrow, don't put a suit on. Pretend to be sick. All right? 
All right, can we hear some tomorrow before we go? Let Uncle Jimmy hear some tomorrow. Probably haven't heard tomorrow in a couple of weeks. This, I think tomorrow marks two weeks since Jim's been in the studio. Uh, but it looks like he's recovering. All right, it's time for tomorrow. Time for me to get out of here. I hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll see you tomorrow. Like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just wanna be, I just